All right, guys, you ready for the rest of the story? Yeah. All right. You guys good? Yeah. Great. Okay. So I kind of am in the place where I just told you about that whole season of learning how to come into agreement with heaven, all of that, the fast. So I go to the doctor somewhere after that fast because I knew something was really quite wrong because um, when you don't eat food for 40 days and have all things happen, I did. Something seemed to be up. And I had been going to doctors before, and they always just tried to put me on diets and stuff. So I go this time, and they tell me, hey, listen, we don't know why your body is, trying, is gaining weight like this, but you, you're not going to live to 40. You'll probably die by the time you're 40 years old. Your organs will fail. Your body will give out. And so unless you can figure out how to lose weight, uh, this is what's going to happen. And I am just devastated. I am like, if I knew how to do that, I would. I mean, not eating for 40 days, if that didn't work, I don't know what else will. And so I have an hour drive. I'm driving from the hospital back to where I live, and I'm just devastated. I'm thinking, God, I've given you everything. My life's already been pretty difficult. I've given you my yes. I live for you, and now I'm dying. This sucks. You know, like, I'm just crying by myself and just kind of in that moment. And I... And all of a sudden, it was not, God didn't speak, but it was like courage hit my heart. And, and I just threw all the tears. I said, Lord, I can't change this, like, and, and I don't know how to. So if I die, I die. But while I live, could you use me somehow to raise up a generation on the earth that radically loves you? Could you just somehow do that? Now, the next, you know, years of my life, there's so many days that I wanted to give up, like, Every day I have a low, had a low level of, like, nauseousness. Um, it was like looking in the mirror at yourself and you're in a prison that you cannot get out of, and it's not really your fault. There's so many things about it that um, made it almost like your handicap in many ways. You guys, the largest that I was by the time I was 30 years old, I weighed 400 pounds. So pretty, you know, pretty severe. Getting on airplanes, uh, just my whole, my joints hurt. Um, I just didn't feel good all the time. And one day I'm in my room, I'm just crying. I'm having a really, really hard day. I want to give up. I'm just like, I don't even know, you know, what's going on. And I heard the Lord speak to me. He says, Amy, there's the reality of heaven and there's the reality of earth. He said, when you come into agreement with your circumstances, he says, it keeps me from breaking in. He says, but when you come into agreement with me, your circumstances may not change, but you will. And it was a moment realizing my circumstances might not change, but I will change if I come into agreement with him. So a lot of times we want to come into agreement to change our circumstances, but he doesn't promise that. But he promises to make us like him if we'll come into agreement of his character and nature and who he is. And so during all of this too, you know, I'm on staff of these ministry schools, youth groups, wild stuff is happening. And I have this opportunity to actually travel with some of the most well-known prophets in America and in the world for a while. This whole open door happens. They find out about me. I have lots of insecurity uh, when they show up to teach in our school, not because I was afraid of what they would see in my life, but more that they wouldn't see me at all. Sometimes when we're around people with similar giftings or there's certain things that we relate to, rarely are we afraid that they're going to see something bad. It's more that they won't see you. And then does that really mean that you're the real thing or not? You know what I mean? So that was me. So I had this opportunity to spend like a year traveling with these guys or more. And it would be like if you wanted to be in the entertainment industry, getting invited to hang out with movie stars or whatnot, but in that whole world, the prophetic. 
and I'm, you know, in different places, and it's crazy, the whole prophetic movement at the time, and not once did these guys prophesy over me. They just let me hang out, and I learned a lot of what I was amazing, and I learned things I didn't want to do as well, um, and I was, you, there's different kinds of prophetic giftings. Uh, a lot of these guys didn't have the ability to see in the spirit, and some of them did, some of them didn't, but you know, I would often tell them what was happening. And at first, they weren't too sure. And then as they began to happen, they'd be like, they started calling me Amy from Alaska, the girl that sees the angelic, which not what I wanted to be called, but uh, it was, I got a little bit of a reputation with that. And so people started to hear about me, and they would invite me to speak or minister, but they wouldn't often know what I looked like before I showed up. And I started to have this experience as I got around more people uh, in the U.S., is that there was quite a prejudice against what I look like and that they didn't always want me on their stages once they found out. So I actually had, me and my friend, we were uh, speaking at a conference that they, kind of, they invited us. They knew him, but they didn't know me. And once they saw that I was extremely overweight, they, they didn't want me on their main and, and my friend, I said, how come I'm only speaking here? And he's like, I'm so sorry. I mean, you mean, you mean, you mean because of what I look like? And he just put his head down and he said, I think so. And it's like, I'm a young, you know, in my 20s. You're hoping that's not the case because you have such respect for people. But then you find out that they don't want me to speak because of my appearance. And they think I have an addiction in my life of food, but I don't. And they're ashamed of me. And what am I going to do with that? I was devastated because I'm like, I have to get up on this stage and they don't even want me here. And I, had to, I get up there, and I'm going to minister, and I'm just, it's like a lot of you think people think bad things about you, but they're not thinking about you at all. Uh, in my case, they were. And I used to speak in schools and DTSs before I lost weight, and they would, I would have, after I gave my story, it would be a line of people that want to talk to you. And a lot of them would come up and say to me, will you please forgive me for thinking how could God ever use someone that looked like you? One girl said, will you forgive me for thinking, why would anybody ever want to marry someone that looked like you? I started to have to make announcements after I got in speaking. Please don't come up and tell me all the horrible thoughts that you thought about me. I forgive you. Because it surely wasn't helping me at all. So in this case, I have to get up and speak, and I'm pretty devastated. I'm having, I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be here. They don't want me here anyway. Why am I doing this? And, the, and I hear the Lord say, I mean, get up there. And so I'm in this session. People aren't really paying attention or... They're kind of like indifferent towards me. And I hear the Holy Spirit speak to me. And he says, Amy, I'm going to make you a promise today. He goes, you're my friend. And that was the thing that I always asked God. If I could be known for one thing, could you, I want to be known for being the friend of God. I just, that's, and, and being loved. I want my gravestone, you know. Amy, you know, like she loved well and she was the friend of God. That to me is the highest thing that I would ask for in life. And I'm on that moment, and I hear him say, I'm going to make you a promise today for the rest of your life. When you ask me to come, I'll come with my presence. He said, people might not get healed or certain things might not happen, but I'll show up. And he actually, you know, and me and my friends. So he's like, girl, you got this. Go ahead. And I remember it's like in all the insecurity and all the raging of the circumstances, closing my eyes and just saying, Holy Spirit, come and he hit that room with like a bomb like I have never seen. People flew out of their chairs and backwards. I am not joking. One of the wildest is, boom, hits the room and chaos ensues. And I'm like, oh my gosh. 
And from that moment on, I would say that that's true. Again, it, it looks different all the time. It's not my definition of that, but it's his. But it was a moment, a life-changing moment that he had my back and he was for me. And even when people didn't understand. But in my 20s, guys, I, in 30s, I had to overcome so many things and places that you would think you would never have to, but unfortunately, it was the case. And so most days of getting up, I never felt very great about my, it was never about my gifting. It was about choosing Jesus day in and day out. One more friend gets married. One more friend has a baby. One more friend, you know, gets the, all of these things. And here I am fighting for my life with a death sentence that I won't live to 40, stuck in a prison that I cannot get out of. And every day just having to make the choice of what am I going to do. Lots begin to happen, of course. You know, my influence is increasing through all of this. But during all of it, uh, it's a really long story, so I'm trying to shorten some things. It's the, the older I get, the more the story gets longer. I just tell you what. Um, <laughs> I'm like, you're going to have to have like a whole week just for the story by the time I'm like, you know, 60 or something. But <laughs> during all of this, I, I'm not the kind of person that really wants to go like chase revival of where it's at. I'm the kind of person that believes that God's going to do it here. Uh, I'm more like, I will give my life to this location or this place to see God move. And so for me, I would have never left Alaska. I'm about as Alaskan as you can get. You know, there is a real reality to actually people that are from cold weather places is that we get really hot a lot easier because our blood is thick. We have to. It's part of our culture, right? So uh, being hot, I do not like. Uh, imagine that. So um, I just love being there, and I believe God for that. I get these words about moving, and I'm like, I'm not moving. I'm not going anywhere. And in this, in this, I was at a conference, and somewhere else, my friend calls me out, and he says, Amy, I see you moving, and he gives me this whole word. And I'm like, no, I'm not. And the, there was all of this, like, God movement around Albany, Oregon. I had friends there, and my friend was moving there to do some ministry. It was a very, at the time, a church that a lot of activity of God happened around. And so this was kind of the word. And I'm like, no, I'm not going. And that night I get back to Alaska and I have a dream. And in the dream, I'm moving there. But there's something wrong with my room. I lived in the basement of a house. In the natural, I lived in the basement of a house of somebody I rented their basement, um, some friends of mine. But in my dream, there's something wrong with my room. And I have to move into what in the dream was like this cabin. And it was called a transitional cabin. And I was all moving to Oregon. And uh, I... I was like, that mad, this crazy thing has happened when you talk to you. There's something wrong with the foundation of our house, and your bedroom walls are caving in. And you have to move out in the next couple days. I'm like, what? And they're like, but we know this guy with a cabin that he has in his yard. You should talk to him. I'm like, oh, okay, this is getting freaky. So I go talk to the guy, and he goes, yeah, we call it a transitional cabin. You can stay in it if you want to. I was like, I'm moving, you know? Um, so I called my friend, and I was like, this is crazy, bro, but I, I have a word of the Lord spoke. I checked with our leaders. They all agreed this is God. So I started to prepare for that move. But the last thing that I did was I ran a summer school of ministry for high school kids. And I just trained them all summer. Like they took their summer break and we did like a ministry school. And then we we're going to take them on a little outreach. And so in Alaska, you know, quite a big state, five hours away was the, on the road system was the town of Homer, Alaska. And they had just, I had heard that they had planted a YWAM base. So I called up this YWAM base, and I said, hey, I got a busload of kids that want to do an outreach in your town, 
and can we come and stay on your base? Do you have room? And they're like, yeah, we're running our first DTS, but go ahead, and we have room. So I'm like, I need help with all of these young boys in my youth group and that were in the school. So I had asked a friend of mine, he was married and had three little kids, and I said, hey, will you come and help mentor the guys? I'll take the girls, you take the guys. He's like, yeah, he's really wild, evangelistic, all of that. So he said, yeah, I'll do it. Um, so he's with me, and we go down to Homer, and we pull into the parking lot to the Wyoming base, and this fiery redhead guy named Andy Bird stepped out. <laughs> and he was running that first DTS. Now, Andy's from Homer, Alaska, but he had done his DTS on Maui, and he was going, he came home to just help pioneer the school. So as the week went on, I had trained all my high school kids to walk in the gifts of the Spirit, and they could... They could. <laughs> so they're out in the streets doing prophetic evangelism. They're prophesying over the DTS students. It's wild. And Andy's like, who are you? Like, what is going on? And I realized that I knew who his family was. My sister had actually done a school that his aunt and uncle ran. And I'm like, I know who, who your family is. I'd never met him. But he was married at the time, and he had one kid, Asher, was just learning how to crawl. Not even walking yet. And uh, as the week went on, the Lord spoke to me. He says, Amy, one day you're going to work with him. I told him, I said, no, this is kind of wild, but the Lord said one day we'll work together. I don't know. We'll see what happens. And so I leave. He goes back to Maui. And I drive from Alaska all the way to Oregon through Canada in my car. And uh, I show up in Oregon. I don't have a job. And I'm just, you know, and the church leadership knows who I am, but I'm just trying to figure it out as I go on the word of the Lord. And as I'm driving through Canada, talking to God, I'm like, God, what are you doing? And he says, well, just out of nowhere, he says, I'm about to release a wave through youth with a mission. I'm like, what? Why wham? A wave? Guys, I had not read, is that really you, God? I did not know about Lauren Cunningham or the wave word. And if I'm really honest, I did not have a very great opinion about YWAM because I had friends that had done it, came home and backslid. So I just assumed, well, that didn't work. And now that was just my judgment and my lack of uh, understanding. But still, I didn't have that great of a view of it. And so I'm like, YWAM, you're about to move on YWAM? That seems so random. So as I get to Oregon, I end up getting a job uh, working for this company that took the entire Corvallis hospital medical system and put it into digital form at the time. They hired me because I was an ordained minister at this point. So I was, they were like, oh, we'll just hire the reverend because we could trust her. I don't know. That's what they thought. Under me were 50 people, some of them Harvard grads. I didn't go to college. Um, and it was a wild time because I was kind of in this experiment because I'd only really been in the church. So I thought, well, if it's true that he's in me and that everywhere I go, I'm an open heaven. So that should be that he should come out of me everywhere I go. Well, let's just see what happens. I'm very professional in my job. But one night I'm in this room working late and there's about four different employees. We're all in this office working. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit shows up. I'm like, uh-oh. And these two girls were Muslim girls. They're in burqas. And I look over and they're like face down on the table and they're laughing hysterically. And I'm like, oh boy, Holy Spirit, okay. And one of the guys, you know, he has headphones on, he takes them off and he's like, what about you is so contagious? The other guy was like a drug dealer on the side, which I got through word knowledge. But anyway, um, freaked him out one day. He's like, I can't come to work tomorrow. I'm like, picking up your shipment in Portland, huh? He's like, what? I'm like, nothing. Um. Let's just say at my youth group, I am your worst nightmare as a youth pastor. 
if you weren't following Jesus. <laughs> Some of you won't look me in the eyes. Just so you know, you're not, I'm not being prophetic. You're just giving yourself away. No, I'm joking. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> that dude, he takes off his, he's like, what? The beepity beep is going on in here. I'm like, the Holy Spirit showed up. And I was like, okay, he really does show up everywhere. Yeah, opening even in the ministry side of it. But during all of this, I'm there a couple months, and I, I had the Lord said, I want you to fly to Maui where Andy was, and I want you to see if you can go see him. So I get a hold of him, and he says, yeah, you could come. It was actually, it would be this time, exactly around Thanksgiving time, that I flew there. This would have been 2007. And he let me speak in a school for a couple days while God breaks out. And he says, you know, Amy, I think God might want to use you in YWAM. I'm like, cool, I'll speak in your schools. And he's like, no, like, in it, in it. Like, join, but you'd have to do a DTS. I'm like, no, bro, I'm good. Like, at this point, I've done three years of ministry school. I've been in ministry full-time for quite some time. But I'm like, but I mean, if God spoke it, I would, but I can't really imagine that. And so he's like, yeah, probably not. I fly back to, to Oregon, and I'm doing things again. And the Lord speaks to me and says, Andy's going to call you, and he's going to tell you that he's leaving YWAM. I'm like, really? And sure enough, he does. And then the Lord says, he's going to tell you he's going to go back to Alaska. And that happens. And then the Lord says, and you're supposed to go with them. And I'm like, I just got to Oregon. And right at this time, somebody that was walking in a lot of, like, the prophetic supernatural stuff was around. And older person and they came to me and basically would have opened the door for me to fully like join them if I wanted to um and he comes to me and says Amy what do you feel like God is saying and all he's waiting for me to say I'm supposed to run with you and he would have let me but out of my mouth I said the Lord is saying he's about to move and why wham and he was so taken back he's like really I'm like that's what he says to me but I'm like I don't know what to do with all of this so all this stuff is happening and then I load back up in my car, and I join Andy and Holly Bird and a few others on a road trip, again, through Canada, back into Alaska. And I'm thinking, this is so weird. This is so out of nowhere. And uh, the Lord speaks to, to us as a very small team that if you seek me for the next 30 days, it could change the next 30 years of your life. Andy and I are the same age, um, and his wife Holly are all the same age. And uh, we're like, okay. We pick up this guy that had done YWAM, backslid, want, wanted out of his sin, and he asked if he could join us. And he was like a hardcore kid that was a lead singer of a hardcore band and uh, was trying to quit smoking and a bunch of other things. We're like, sure, you can join us. He was our worship leader. He like knew a couple songs. He, was tr he knew this is the air I breathe, and he's trying to quit smoking, which was kind of funny. But he... Uh, <laughs> Had a lot of, he had more piercings in his face than I knew was humanly possible. Um, he'd never own, never mind. Anyway, so we get there and we're in the uh, prayer room, and Holly is fully pregnant with their second child, who is Hadassah, and we're just seeking God for 30 days. He doesn't say very much, except for I want you to travel around America and get perspective for what I'm about to do. So Andy has one more obligation with YWAM before he's fully out, and that's to fly to South Korea for a prayer gathering there. So he flies as his last kind of thing he has to do. Again, he's from the Maui base. But while he's there, he gets approached by, long story short, Lorne and Darlene Cunningham. He said, I didn't even know that they knew who I was. But they asked him to pray about moving here to Kona to help in the area of worship and prayer, but around the worship side of campus. And Andy's like, um, well, I was planning on leaving YWAM. 
and I have a team now, me and this kid, right? And, and I haven't done a DTS, and the other guy doesn't, have, doesn't like YWAM, even though he already did it, he had, uh, anyway. And, and Darlene says, well, she would have to do a DTS, and he'd have to get over it um, if you were to come. So go pray and ask God. And he flies back to Homer, sits me, this kid down, and his wife, and says, this is crazy, guys. He shares with us the whole thing. But Andy looks at us and says, but we're a team. So if you guys hear no, we won't go. But if we hear yes, we will. I love that he gave us, we all have the same amount of authority and permission to hear God. Well, it just so happened that I had some friends that were really well-known prophets. So I'm thinking, this is the time that I get a hold of them. Because surely not, we are not supposed to move to Hawaii. I'm not going to do a DTS. Like, this is not happening. And I get a hold of all of them to pray. Resounding, everybody comes back and says, we can't really explain it, but this is the Lord. You are supposed to do this. And I was like, oh, man. So we got back in the car, drove through Canada, all through America. I drove that, high, last, or that highway back and forth three times in a one-year period of time. Um, we traveled all over, meeting with leaders in the body of Christ from really well-known to nobody would know who they are, local pastors of churches. And we asked them a series of questions. What do you think God's about to do in America? This would have been in 2007. And so everybody kind of, there's a consensus that something was about to happen in America. God was going to do something, and the ground was getting ready. So I fly here in January of 2008, arrival day, to do my DTS. I'm just getting about to turn 28 years old. And I get here, I am so hot. It's not even funny. Uh, and still very overweight, haven't lost any weight yet, and start my DTS. I live down in the building with the mail room in that building there. And I'm like, okay, what do I do during my school? Like, do I pretend like I'm, how do I fit in? And so Andy let my school leaders know and my staff, just kind of my background. But I'm like, what am I supposed to do like during hearing the voice? One, that I end up having an encounter in the middle of the night. And the Lord gives me a word for YWAM. But I'm just a DTS student. I'm like, I can't give this word. Like, what am I going to, I can't. So I, I tell Andy and I tell my school leader. So I did the DTS called All Nations, All Generations. There was like 100 of us. It was from the age of 17 to 90 some, I think. A lady in my school, I think was 80 or 90. And... Uh, and all mainly our um, staff were a lot of Pacific Islanders, but Donna and Peter Jordan, who are just amazing, were my school leaders. She's like a grandma in YWAM. And they knew about who, my background, but I just wanted to keep it on the DL, you know? But I have this encounter, and I'm thinking, surely not. And so I tell the school leader, and I say, it's probably just for our school. Long story short, I go to bed that night. I wake up an hour later in the most excruciating pain I'd ever known. They take me to the Kona Hospital, and I have gallstones, kidney stones, and a 9 by 9 centimeter tumor. Uh, yep, and so pretty wild. And I kind of come to you in the hospital, and there's a bunch of people around my bed. They're like, what is the word of the Lord? But anyway, everybody in my school found out who I was. Uh, I ended up giving the word to Lauren and Darlene and the mission because it was actually for them. I go on outreach with the tumor with the gallstones and the kidney stones. Uh, I was in the hospital for a few days, but I go on outreach anyway to the Cook Islands in Fiji. Talk about hot. Now I was really hot. And uh, the buildings that we would stay in, there was no doors, no windows. It was like a construction site. So we'd have tropical storms. You wake up soaking wet. It was a wild time. 
for sure. But I had this word over me that one day I would minister to leaders of nations. Well, it just so happened on my DTS outreach through a series of events, I ended up prophesying over the highest chief of all of Fiji that appoints the prime minister, had all kinds of crazy stuff happen in Fiji, signs, wonders, and miracles. It was wild. It was really hard just because of me being sick and uh, being so hot, but all these things happened, and I flew back here and went back to the doctors, and they said, you have less than 10 years to live. I was like, okay. I go to Andy, I'm like, bro, you got me for probably about nine more years. What do you want to do? And we, when we moved here, part of the word was we wanted to start a DTS that was really focused on prayer and worship and missions together. And so that was the plan, and Darlene said, sure, you can do it. So Andy, you guys, you know, he's very much different than he was when we both are 10 years ago. But he's like my brother, okay? We're, we're the same age. We're both from Alaska. We're both redheaded, for real. We couldn't be more different in our personalities. And uh, he's grown a lot in his loving pastoral ways. But let's just say it wasn't always that way. So he comes to me and says, Amy, I can't let you die. I'm like, well, that's nice, but what are you going to do? He's like, you might hate me for what I'm going to ask you to do, but will you just trust me? He says, I don't know. He says, but I can't just sit back and let you die. All your other friends tell you that they're sorry and they're praying for you, but i got to fight. we got to figure this out. I'm like, oh, man, Andy's like the size of my leg. He's going to kill me. Like, his wife's an athlete. I'm going to die for sure one way or the other now. And uh, he, I literally wrote down everything I ate and, and to the tablespoon in a book and submitted it every day, every week, trying to figure this out. And he, was, we, I eat one meal a day. I end up leading a second level. Okay, so actually, may back up. Fire and Fragrance was born in January of 2009. So I go in for surgery three weeks before to have the tumor removed. And we launched the first Fire and Fragrance DTS right over here in this little pavilion. And there was like 30 students. So as my first launch of a first school, I have just come out of surgery. So then I run a second level school, a mobile team, and then I don't, uh, I'm only eating one meal a day of trying to figure out what to do here. So in December of that year, I go in, and we finally decide, let's try surgery again. So we removed most of my stomach. But because I don't have an overeating issue, that's not really going to work. But we tried it anyway. So I have a lot of my stomach removed. I lost some weight, but I definitely didn't lose all of it because that wasn't the point, or that wasn't what was wrong with me. And so now my hair is falling out because I have malnutrition. I'm super physically weak. I'm eating, like, very little food and launching these schools. So it's like by the time the second fire and fragrance, I'm like... I don't know who I am, and you know, I'm like, I am so weak and so tired, but fire and fragrance grew a little bit. Well, that summer, we don't run a school in the summer, and uh, I'm down with another staff training, and I hear the Holy Spirit say, hey, me, I want to talk to you. I'm like, cool. I think he's going to tell me, like, I love you. Guys, here's the thing is I, I tell you these stories of encounters, but most of the time I hear God's voice is exactly like you, the still small voice of God. It's just as hard for me sometimes to hear the Lord on certain things as it is for you. He breaks in usually more on my assignments, but how I live God and live with God every day is just learning to hear a still small voice of the Lord, okay? So when he says, I want to talk to you, that's what I think he's going to say. So I go home. I live like down the road from here at the time, and I'm in my house, and I'm like, okay, Lord, what do you want to say? I'm laying on my bed. And now prior to this, I've only ever seen things like in the Spirit, and all of a sudden, the atmosphere of the room completely changes. 
Uh, angels are way more scary than demons. Why? Well, demons, they can't do a whole lot to you. Angels. <laughs> I don't know if you've read the New Testament, but I'm just saying, don't lie to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Jokes. Um, they carry a level of the glory and the fear of the Lord. Like, it feels like all the air was sucked out of the room. And I'm like, <gasps> and he's standing there, and he's wearing old clothes from a different time period. And he has a messenger bag, like it's leather. And the angel speaks out loud. And he says, I represent those that will ride through the night to sound an alarm of awakening. Inside of this bag is messages on the glory of God. And suddenly I'm like somewhere else and I see the statue of a man on a horse. And then I see lines of fire crisscrossing America going into other nations. And this phrase appears in the sky and it says, fiery-eyed revivalist. Then I'm still in the room. The angel's still standing there. And he says, the Lord is about to release his circuit riders again. And he says, it'll be a revolution that will lead to a reformation. He says a few more things. And he says, and you'll understand more of this later. And he disappears. While he's standing there, I heard the Holy Spirit say this name, Paul Revere. And I'm thinking back to my history class as an American going, Paul Revere when we were in a time where, and this is not about Paul Revere, it's not about the British, but when the British were invading America, this guy rode through the night on a horse and he yelled out, the British are coming, the British are coming, and he sounded this alarm. Well, he kind of looked like that. It wasn't all Paul Revere, angel dressed like that, okay? Listen, God can do what he wants to do. And I'm like, Paul, I don't know why. I don't, I, I'm so, my mind can't comprehend what's happening. So when the angel leaves, I'm literally shaking, like, uncontrollably, and I go in the other room and I type in, I Google it, right? What are you going to do? I Google Paul Revere, and the first thing that comes up on the screen is Messenger of the Revolution, because it was the Revolutionary War. And I went, Messenger, the word angel means messenger. And he said a revolution that would lead to reformation. And I was like, oh my gosh. So I like, I don't know how I slept that night, but Andy actually picked me up to take me to campus the next day. My car wasn't running or something. And he picks me up. I'm like, bro, you know, I've had some weird things happen, but last night, and I tell him the encounter, and he's like, okay, so Andy loves to study church history and revival, and he's like, circuit writers, wow. Now, guys, the part I'm about to tell right now, I might get a little emotional, because you'll hear why. Wow. That's where Brian Brandt comes into the story, the man that just passed away a couple days ago. So I just flew in from California to be with our community out there, okay? So anyway, him and his wife move here. And he hears about this encounter that I have. They're here on a sabbatical from uh, Tacoma, Washington. And his wife is a prophet, too, who's very sick with a neurological Lyme's disease. But he hears about my encounter, and he comes. It's just a few people here know about it at the time. And he says, wow, him and Andy became really good friends. And the three of us became very close. And we're like, if an angel shows up to your house, Amy, this is a very big deal. Like, this is a biblical proportion. It's like Mary had an angel, all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, well, what is God saying? And just because you have an angel show up, it doesn't really matter. You have to know, is this really you, God? No matter how crazy and real it is, you still have to ask if it's God and what you're supposed to do. So we didn't get up and tell everybody about it. We prayed over it. God, what are you saying? And so I had sent a team to Los Angeles on an outreach, and I needed to go visit them to see how they were doing. It was a couple months after this encounter. And so we lived here, you know. 
but I was driving into downtown LA to meet with this team. I'm in my rental car, I'm driving down the highway, and all of a sudden, the atmosphere of the van completely changed. And I looked over, and the angel is sitting in the passenger seat of the car. Don't know how that happened or how I drove. Honestly, guys, it was just all surreal. And the angel, again, speaks. And he holds up this brown-looking cloak, and he holds up a pocket watch. And he says, the mantle of the circuit riders is coming on the circuit riders again. And they'll go from Los Angeles, California, and they'll sweep across America. And he says, you and Brian and Andy will carry a mantle and you'll come here. But Christy, Brent, Brian's wife, will be the timing piece. And he says a few more things and he disappears. I'm like, oh, Jesus, oh, God, oh, Jesus, oh, God. Like, is this real? Do I lose my mind? I'm like, huh? Right? I'm like shaking. Get into downtown LA. The team's like, Amy, are you, are you okay? Huh? No, no, okay. You know, so these they were, they were the students when I had the first one. So they kind of knew about it a little bit. My staff did. And I'm like, no, guys, I'm not okay. The angel just showed up. And they're like, what? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. And I look up, and this is a true story. I have a picture on my phone to this day. A little boy is standing in front of me. And on the front of his shirt, it says, Paul Revere. And there is a horse and rider. And they're like, Amy, look. And I'm like, huh? I asked the mom, I'm like, I like your kid's. Sure, can I take a picture? I mean, like, this can't be more random. At the same time, I get a text message from another team that's standing in North End, Boston, Massachusetts, at the statue of Paul Revere saying, there's Redford's call, and I'm telling them this, and, the, and Brian's like, hey, if an angel shows up to you twice, we're in big trouble if we don't figure this out of what's going on. Now, as we study church history, we realize there's this time where this whole movement called the circuit riders. And these guys would preach the simple gospel, and they would ride on the back of horses, and they would crisscross America preaching the simple gospel, which then led to a great awakening in America. And so we were like, well, if God is saying this, and he's likened us to the circuit riders of old, then maybe it's a generation that's going to preach the simple gospel again across America into the nations. I think this is God. And so we go, we'll run a school. We'll train them in evangelism and preaching and freedom and all of this. And Brian starts writing all this material for it. And we run our first school here. But you didn't have to do a DTS to come. We ran it like a camp, a seminar. And the way that, that a arrival day in Kona works is you can't pick which day it is. It always falls however the calendar is, just like a, a regular university. So it just happened. You know, Andy, God speaks to Andy, and Andy hears, well, guys, we're going to get 300, like a Gideon's army. God said a Gideon's army is going to show up. Well, arrival day for the summer quarter that following year was one year to the day that I had the original encounter. And sure enough, 300, give or take a couple, show up. We train them right here in the Ohana court, and it is crazy. It is wildness of just preaching freedom, all of that stuff. And that's where a lot of the materials that we now use all came out of that season. Well, we take them to L.A., where the original Jesus movement was, at the Huntington Beach Pier, all of that. We get a tent. They let us put up a tent across the street. We have, like, old-fashioned tent revivals. Um, and all these young people start preaching the gospel, and people start getting saved, delivered. Like, just some of the wildest stuff we'd ever seen was happening. When we get done with that, we're baptizing them in the ocean, and we're like, that was crazy and amazing. Now we're done, and what now? And God speaks to Andy and says, no, you're not done. It's only begun. Strike the ground, which has to do with, yeah. Anyway, the next summer, 
We ran five schools, four in America and one in London. It was right before the Olympics in London. And we, all, we called it like the summer of death because we almost died, literally, because we were crisscrossing all over America and into Europe, running these schools back to back. We were, I've never been more tired in my life. We all were. And God moved so profoundly. I mean, so many people were saved, healed, delivered. It was, I, we watched miracles. Our students would ride the elevator at the ER and heal everybody. I saw guys in kneecap come back on. I mean, it was crazy. But we were in the uh, School of the Circuit Riders in Denver. And the same night we launched that night was the night the Aurora shooting was. And that's very close to us YWAMers because there was actually a shooting on a YWAM base in Denver where three, a student and two staff were killed. And one of them was a DTS student of Andy and I's school that we ran. And so it was very personal in that way and of personal to YWAM. But we're like, what are we going to do? It's our first night. We just sent our circuit riders out in the streets, and so many people started getting saved that night. And then we would have night meetings, and we used an uh, old synagogue, or a synagogue, a Jewish messianic means they believe in Jesus, in downtown Denver, and that's where we would meet every night. And so we watched some <laughs> wild miracles in, in that city. And it was one of those nights, and so Lindy... Uh, Conan Kofer, you guys have seen her lead. She was leading worship with Corey Asbury, and Lou Engle was there that night, and uh, we were just throwing down. But I was so physically weak because I hadn't, I was trying to lose the weight, trying not to die. My hair was falling, I had malnutrition really, but I was like kind of dying to live. It was, it was crazy. I just told the guys, I said, listen, I'm going to lay down next to the stage because I can't get up. Right now, I'm just going to lay here, and I'll be right over there. And Bryce was up in the sound booth, and, and we're going for it. And Lindy had just written this song, Every Nation, Every Soul. So she's on the stage, and she's singing, Every nation, every soul, Jesus, you are worthy of every nation, every soul. And Corey's playing with her, and all of a sudden, I'm like, whoa. The presence of God just started to fill the room. More and more, and he gets so nuts in there that I'm like, I got to look. So I pull myself to the top of the thing. I'm on the railing. I'm holding on, and I look out, and it's like as far as you could see, there's hundreds of young people, and they all have their hands raised, and it's like every person's engaged. Rarely would you ever see that, and their hands are just raised, and they're singing, every nation, every soul, Jesus, you are worthy. And the presence is just increasing. Some of you know who Lou Engle is, some of you don't. But he's, he comes up and he's standing next to me. And he rocks and he has a raspy voice when he talks. And he's like, Amy, heaven's in the room. I'm like, yeah, Lou, heaven's in the room. He's like, can you see the angelic? I'm like, lots. And he's like, this is crazy. I'm like, I know. And it gets so wild that Corey puts his guitar down and he's like spinning around. And just, it's just one of the most glorious. And uh, the room is singing, and I just hear the Lord. I'm barely hanging on. He says, thank you. I'm like, what? He says, thank you for saying yes to me, Amy. Look, it's a generation falling in love with Jesus. And I'm, I mean, I am bawling. I'm bawling because I'm so weak. And I had just recorded my, I have an album uh, that I recorded. It's all spontaneous prophetic music captured over three days. And they just put it into a compilation. And um, I didn't know what was going to come out until it comes out. There's this one part that I began to sing, and it's like the song of my life. And I, it was as the Lord singing over me, and I began to sing. 
He glories in my weakness every day. He glories in my weakness every day. As I'm standing there hearing every nation, every soul, Jesus, you are worthy. And all I'm thinking, he glories in my weakness every day. And I was just, my life, it was undone. But it was in that place of the greatest brokenness. Well, Circuit Riders went on to become a major movement all over the world. We ran these trainings all over different nations. And then it turned into Carry the Love on the university campuses, which now is the Circuit Rider Ministries hub is out of Huntington Beach, California. And uh, Brian, the man that did all of this with us, me and Andy's closest friend, we birthed this movement, just passed away a couple of days ago of, uh, of an autoimmune disease, complications from an autoimmune disease. So I just flew out a couple of days ago to be with our Circuit Rider team there. Me and Andy both did. And uh, to get came back to get back to you guys. And um, so a movement was born. And I ended up taking uh, a team and pioneering a base in Pasadena, California at the U.S. Center for World's Missions campus. And Lou Engel came too, and he started the prayer room in my auditorium, and his house was down the road from my house, and we all kind of came together. It was the call at the time, so the call and us uh, YWAMers. And we were there for a couple years doing this together, and then we had our hour away was our circuit rider hub down in Huntington Beach, so we'd go back and forth. And we're going for it. It was a wild season. But I ended up losing, well, during all those circuit rider schools, because the stomach surgery didn't really work so well, I figured something out and ended up taking, given having to give myself hormone injections every day and eating less than 400 calories a day. To say that I was weak was an understatement. But uh, ended up losing half my body weight over through all of this, I would run every morning before the schools and like exercising, doing all this stuff. And through the combination, I ended up getting half of it off. But uh, I ended up having to get surgery to put my body back together. So I had like, you know, where they skin removal, all that kind of stuff, but really to, to help me uh, to keep going. So I, I have my first surgery in Honolulu and I go pioneer straight out of surgery to um, Pasadena. But through all this, I ended up getting a crazy infection. At one point, the doctor gave me 45 minutes to live, not joking. Had to rush me to the ER here in Kona, and they said, you'll be dead in 45 minutes. We've got to figure this out. I know. And uh, my surgeon, who's not saved, ended up calling me. They had to do another surgery on me. And he said, um, listen, I don't know who you are. He calls me on a Sunday. It's very strange a surgeon calls you at home. And he says, listen, I don't know who you are but you have a much higher power work in your life because I had a dream. And in my dream, you have an infection that would have killed you had I operated on you tomorrow or whenever it was. He's like, so I told the nurse to test your wound and sure enough, you have the infection from my dream. Had I not known that, you would have probably died on the operating table. Who are you? You know, I'm like, and he's like, I've been doing, he's in his 70s, like I've been doing this my whole life, never had anything like this happen. I'm like, yeah, I know, okay. So, doesn't kill me, but then I end up having to go to Pasadena with open holes in my stomach and had to take care of them myself for six months. It was interesting, for sure. Come back here, speak in fire and fragrance, go get surgery again, get another infection, come back here, do another DTS, get another surgery. 25 hours of surgery in uh, one year's time, got an infection every single time, all while pioneering a brand new base. And glory's in my weakness every day. During all of this, it's 2014, um, and I go to Alaska every summer, sometime, try to go back, see the family, 
visit, you know, the ministries that I was a part of leading there. So I, I went up there, and I'm running one of those. In Alaska in the summer, it doesn't get dark. So we have prayer meetings through the night, and it's as light as it is like this at 2 in the morning. It's pretty fun. So I brought my buddy Rick Pino as a worship leader with me. We run a, a, a we call a burn up there. And while I'm there, my friend, who I remember when I told you that I started a, uh, that summer school ministry, and I asked this guy to help me uh, run it. Well, a couple years prior to that, he had called me up and he said, hey, Amy, my life's kind of falling apart. My wife left. My kids aren't doing good. I just, I knew God. And I'm like, what? I lived here at the time. I said, why don't you fly out here? Brian Brent's speaking on freedom this week. You can stay with our guys and let's let God minister to you. So he flies out here. Last are really not doing well. My wife hasn't come back, all of that. And I said, well, give me your kids. Just give me all three of them. I'll take them to California. We have a summer camp called Infusion. They can do that. I'll be Auntie Amy. And one of them was really dealing with um, drug addiction. So he says, okay, so they all come with me. My team takes care of them. We do camp. It's awesome. And then here's the following summer. I go back, and he says, and so I'm going through the prayer line, praying for all these people. I get to him. I put my hand on him. I said, man, God, if this guy was ever given a chance, I think he'd change the world. And it was like God must have said, okay. Now, that, he said, Amy, can we get some time? I'm like, no, bro, I am so busy this time. I don't have any time. And we usually talk once a year to see how things are going or maybe once every six months. And I said, the only time I have is you want to take me to the airport. He's like, okay, I'll do that. It's like a 45-minute drive. And so I'm getting ready to leave. And that morning I wake up with the strangest feeling I'd ever had. And I'm like, this is so weird. And so I meet with my spiritual dad who lives there. And we go out to lunch and I start asking him all these theological questions around marriage and divorce. He said, Amy, why in the world are you asking me all of this? I'm like, oh, I don't know. He goes, is it because of who's taking you to the airport tonight? I'm like, yes, but I don't know. This is weird. I don't, I, and he's like, that is kind of different. So Philip picks me up to take me to the airport, and I interrogate the guy. I mean, poor guy. You don't want a prophet interrogating you, definitely. Uh, I'm interrogating him all the way to the airport because this weird thought had popped in my mind about him. Um, I had to get rid of it really fast, you know, like, this is strange. Well, he answers them all nicely, and then I'm like, this is dumb, whatever, what was I thinking? I nah. So we just kind of hang out, have dinner, drops me off, but he doesn't just, like, drop me off at the curb like everybody does. He parks and walks me all the way in, helps me check my bag. I'm like, this is weird. And then I go through TSA, and he kind of, like, gives me a little longer hug than normal. I'm like, that was weird. And so I get on my flight and leave. Well, he calls me, like, after the flight. How was your flight? Fine. Why? You know? Okay. First of all, I didn't grow up with telephones. So I don't like talking on the phone. Okay? Um, it's just kind of how I grew up. But he kept calling me. And then I'm like, this is getting strange. Well, I have to fly to to Tennessee, and I'm working with businessmen at the time, so I don't know anybody there except for these guys I'm working with. Well, we talk every night for about five nights. I do not talk on the phone to men at night. That's just not who I am. And so finally, he's like, I have to go into remote Alaska and build this cabin, and another unique part of me, I'm going to go live with an Amish family for a week. <laughs> That's a whole different story. And uh, I do ministry amongst the Amish with the Holy Spirit. It's really fun. And so... Uh, one of my other passions. Um, so I'm going to go do that. And we're both going off grid, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> no, no cell phone service. All right. So I'm like, I'm going to break every rule I've ever told every girl because nobody got time for this. I'm 34 years old. And this is like, 
messing me up. So that night, I get all my courage. I'm like, hey, bro, here's the deal. I really do like talking to you. You're great. But I don't talk on the phone like this. You know, I kind of give this whole deal trying to, it's awkward. And he's like, can I talk now? I'm like, fine, yep. And he's, uh, he says, well, uh, you, you are not crazy. I actually have feelings for you. Now, here's the deal. In my entire 34 years, I had never once had a man say that to me, ever. Men would get close to me, and then some, I've had it happen at least two or three times, where they would break down crying, saying, Amy, you're one of the most amazing women, but I cannot get over what you look like. I'm like, I understand. I understand. So no man, no matter how amazing he was, wanted to date me, because... I wasn't their journal entry. Dear Jesus, <laughs> I want to marry a girl that's overweight, a prophet. I mean, like, mm -mm, sorry, I didn't make it. Didn't make the cut. That's why when people are like, tell God what you want. <laughs> Don't be shallow. <laughs> okay? But good news is God will never give you someone you're not attracted to good news is, but he might change what you're attracted to. Okay, so he says that, and I'm like, what? what'd you say? But he's like, listen, I'm going to tell you the real story, guys. And he said, listen, Amy, like, he's like, I know who you are. I have a fear of the Lord over your life. He's like, my life has been just messed up through all of this. And he, his, what, they had been divorced now for a couple years. He's like, I don't have feelings here. He said, but I have believed God for the restoration of our marriage for so, or from my marriage so long that I don't, for the sake of these kids. And so that night we pray with tears streaming down our faces that we said, God, if there's any way that you could restore his marriage for the sake of these three kids, not our will, but yours be done. So I go with the Yama. She goes out into the bush. We're both praying apart, not going to talk to each other. Call a week goes by. I am done, I fly back to California, and we're gonna run our 21 project there, which is our school that we were running with the circuit riders. And Andy lives here, and Brian lives in Huntington Beach, and there's all these, my friends that we started all this stuff with. We all converge in Pasadena for this school. But the last thing that Philip had said, now can you come visit me? Like, everyone's there. And so anyway, here's the thing. I'm gonna talk about this maybe later, but. You don't mix the prophetic in relationships. Like, it's like the most dangerous zone you could ever imagine. And I'll tell you why, maybe a little bit later. But Brian Brent's son, Nick, was 19 years old at the time. And he's like my little brother. I was just with him two days ago. And uh, he's like, Amy, I'm so tired of you being sad about being single. So I asked God. This was years prior to this. I'm like, shut up, Nick. He said, and God gave me a picture. I'm like, bro, don't. And he said, I see a bearded mountain man, and he'll go, I see him step out of the bush, and he'll come to Southern California, and he'll sweep you up in one moment. He's very prophetic, but I was like, Nick, that's against the rules. There's no bearded mountain man. They only wear skinny jeans in California. I'm an Alaskan woman that is not going to work. I can't take one of those kind of guys home to my dad. Like... <laughs> I can't teach him to be a man, if you know what I'm saying. It's awkward if I can hunt and fish and do all that better than he can. <laughs> so I'm like, you're dumb. Put that one in the garbage. <laughs> so all of a sudden, I, I literally threw it away because I don't pay attention to that stuff. It hit me like really hard. And I went, oh my gosh. Okay, at that time, he had a beard like literally down to his belly button. And he, in Alaska, it's called the bush of Alaska. He's in the bush. Oh, 
no, 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 no. And then all of a sudden, Brian walks by me. I'm at the school started. I hadn't heard from Philip yet. He was still gone. And Brian walks by me, and, and he's like, hey, Amy, can you give me a ride down to Huntington Beach? It's an hour away. I need to go get something. Christy's very sick down there. And I, I said, yeah, I'll, I'll give it. And so I'm driving down. I'm like, I have to tell him. So I start to tell him the story. And he goes, oh, it's the Bearded Mountain Man that Nick saw years ago. You know about that? And I was like, no, it's not. And he's like, hmm. I go see Christy, who's a prophet. She just happened to be awake that moment. When I go in the house, she goes, oh, it's the Bearded Mountain Man that Nick saw. I'm like, oh, my gosh. It's like a family word. And, but I'm thinking, no. She's like, oh, he'll call you tonight. I'm like, you guys are all crazy. So that night, he calls me up. Well, actually, the night, two nights before, that's what happened. He called me up, and he said, I need a few more days to know what I want to do. I'm still praying. I'm like, cool. That night, he calls me up, and he says, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm freaking out. What do you think I'm doing? Like, this has all swirled me out, you know. This has never happened. I don't even know what to think. And he says, I have a question to ask you. I'm like, yeah, what's that? And he said, well, I would like to pursue your heart for the rest of your life. I was like, I said, okay. <laughs> he flies down like a week later, and the school's going on. Okay, so remember this. I met Andy Bird with him because he was helping me leave that school all those years ago. So I'm like, Andy? Okay, now Andy's probably prayed for my future husband about as much as my own mother, okay? He's like, dear God, let this woman get married one day, you know? Because <laughs> I was the girl that thought I'd get married at 18. I mean... I'm kind of, there's lots of qualities that I have that I thought, you know, mom, wife, I can do a lot of things. And I'm like, so not happening is one of the greatest pains of my life because I was so designed to be a wife and mom. That's part of me while this, all this other stuff that I have. Um, I'm very maternal, if you will. And so I tell Andy, I'm like, Andy, I got to tell you something. Um, I tell him that I'm being pursued and I tell him who this is a true story. His reaction is he ripped his shirt off in front of all Brian and Christy, everybody. He rips his shirt off, I'm not joking, and begins to twirl it over his head <laughs> while running laps. I'm not joking. Freaking out. The most extravagant reaction, right? And he's just freaking out. And uh, all, only a few people. I was the most sovereignly single woman, like nobody knew, never dated in my whole life. And now I'm telling a couple people what's happening. Everyone's reaction was over the top. A couple of days later, he flies down, and Brian and Andy are like, "This is great. You're preaching this morning, huh? On overcoming love." I'm like, "Okay." Here we go. So I go pick him up from the airport. Last time he was my friend. Now I'm picking up some guy that says he wants to pursue me for the rest of my life. That's an awkward moment. Um, <laughs> what's up? High five. Hey. Uh, so he shows up uh, and he stands out, okay, because he's this big, muscular, bearded man with tattoos all over his arms and he just sort of sticks out in SoCal. So he's like halfway back in the room and I'm preached the best message of my life. I am telling you, knocked it out of the park. The cameras are rolling. There's a whole crew there from Hollywood that are all voice coaches for movie stars and singers that are coaching our students in the music track. And so they just happen to listen to the message. They're on the front row already getting got. And uh, all of a sudden, it's also Nick's birthday that day. And so I said, can everyone turn the cameras off? And I'm like, some of you know my story. I kind of allude to it. And I said, it's Nick's birthday. And he broke every rule, which you should never do. 
And I tell him about the word, and I said, well, Philip, now he has zero insecurities when it comes to stuff like, he literally stands up, walks through the room, and gets on the stage, takes the microphone out of my hand and says, when you find the pearl, you'll pay any price, and you'll never let it go. Mic drop. The place goes berserk. I mean, like, screaming, crying, Hollywood's crying. I mean, it gets nuts, okay? He has to go back to Alaska. I fly up there a few weeks later, and uh, through this time, all three of his kids didn't want a whole lot to do with him um, for reasons that they believed that weren't true. But anyway, God used me to turn those kids' hearts back to him, uh, which was awesome. The oldest, she was already 18. The other two were younger. They're 15 and 16. And he's like, I can't move. I'm like, I'm called the YWAM. I'm called to lead this, you know, I'm living and leading in California. And uh, the boys both decide, hey, we want to be with you guys. And Philip proposed to me while fly fishing in a remote river in a pair of hip waders. How cute was I? Uh, I look over. He's down on one knee with a ring in the river. Like, don't drop it. I almost dropped his fishing pole. That would have been a bad day, too. But uh, we got engaged, and uh, we were married a few months later. So it all started in June. We were married by December, and the two boys came down to live with us. So the moment that basically we got married, kids loved me. That day they decided to hate me. Uh, our older boy, he relapsed on heroin and meth within the first couple weeks or months of our marriage. So I'm dealing with that. The other one had a whole lot of problems too. And so now I am married. Finally get my promise. But my kids, my stepchildren hate me and making my life crazy. I'm, I'm leading multi-different movements. I'm getting on airplanes and flying internationally and speaking at these events, cleaning my way in, cleaning my way out. It was trauma, like the most trauma I had ever experienced yet, and I've been through some things. So the first two years of my marriage were so traumatic that it was, it was wild. Um, for me to finally get the promise fulfilled, and it's traumatizing in so many ways, because we have to be parents before we can be married, because that's the first line that's the most important. So we have to put all of our stuff to the side to say, there's no honeymoon season here. We're trying to keep two kids alive. So we get one rehab, it's doing better. The other one, same kind of stuff. Finally, it's like the younger one turns 18. I fly out here to teach, and Lauren and Darlene, Philip comes with me. Lauren and Darlene sit Philip and I down, and they said, would you pray about moving back to Kona, Amy, and you become on the leadership team of our campus, and for Philip, for you to take on the construction trades, because that's his background, campus development, and then his dream is to start construction trade schools to train and equip people in the trades and then in nations. And Lauren asks him to come and do it here. I never wanted to move back to Kona, because um, once you leave, you're like, I'm not going back to where I was. We pray. God says, all he says is yes. So right at that moment, the youngest says, I want to live with my mom. We're like, you're 18. You can do what you want. So he does. And we fly out here. And so we'd already been married a few years, but we... It was like our first time actually being buried because everything was so crazy. So kind of getting healed from all that trauma that had happened, learning to be married, amazing season, came on the campus leadership. Philip's doing his dream and lots of stuff in between. And here's the deal is that our oldest son uh, finally quit. One day he calls up a couple years ago and he says, Dad, I'm tired of running from God. I want to come do my DTS. 
comes out here, this fire and fragrance, goes on an outreach to Nepal. As he comes back from his DTS, the day he lands is when COVID hits and all the shutdown, ends up moving back into our house. But through this whole thing, God completely healed and restored my relationship with him. He is an amazing son. Some of you will see him around here. He's on staff with Rev and Rev and a full redemption story of uh, our relationship, which is awesome. So we still got two down, one to go. Last one's still building his testimony, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Here's the deal, guys. I tell you all of that. There's a whole lot more to this part of the story. Is that every day that I wake up, honestly, I feel like the little girl from the wilderness of Alaska. Once was given less than 10 years to live. A lot of the days have been extremely hard. I have never rebelled. I never got drunk. I never did drugs. I never did anything like that. I was really good. And I had it all around me. Drugs, alcohol, all of it was around me. I even tell you everything. <laughs> There's a lot more that happened to me too. But for the sake of time, I'm not going to even go there. Crazy stuff. All injustice. It's not my fault. I don't deserve any of it. Some people are like, hmm, yeah, my life's been hell, but I kind of know why because I made bad choices. That wasn't me. Finally get the promises, all of that. Still traumatic in so many ways. And when I, I have this crazy gifting yet, I ended up having an encounter that led to movements. And moving to what I'm here, and what I thought was my worst career move, ended up fulfilling my destiny. Because now I have access to every nation and denomination in the world because of Lauren Darling Cunningham. And where I would have been in one stream before, now I'm in all of them. And I'm like, it's mind-blowing. And it's not stage ministry, it's I get to be with young people when I actually reproduce instead of create a ministry about gifting. I don't really care. And I don't see a lot anymore because I don't really need to. He just talks to me and it works out. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. But I'm so not impressed with myself and any of those things. The thing sometimes I'm impressed with myself is that I chose to overcome again. So the, the song of my life is, he glories in my weakness every day. And I can honestly say before the Lord, I've learned to love. I'm definitely not perfect at it. But at the end of the day, I, I do believe that that's what it's really about. Here's the thing. Some of you have had wild stories. Some of you have made really bad choices. And some of those consequences you're still going through. Some of you, it's injustice. You've been abused. You've had people in your family die. You've been through hard things. Like, it's real. I get it. But I can tell you that my life story, why I tell it, is so that I'm not up here just talking about Holy Spirit because it's just, but I'm saying, hey, he's my best friend. I know him. And I know him going through really hard things and still choosing him. When we choose him above all else, anything is possible. And I, anything. Listen, my gifting didn't get me where I am today. It's me saying yes to him through it all. Because I have a lot of friends that I started out with the ministry. They're really gifted. A lot of them aren't even following Jesus anymore. They even saw angels and had crazy stuff happen. That won't keep you. What will keep you is knowing him. It's not all the swirly stuff. It's knowing him. So this week, I'm going to teach tomorrow on the Holy Spirit. Who he is, what he does, the baptism. And we're going to have a ministry time. Some of you might have the most significant encounter you've yet had. We'll see think probably. But here's the thing, is that if you look at my life, go, if she, God can do it for her, he can do it for you. 
right? Is that he really is more committed to your highest calling than you'll ever be. So some of you, I really love you, but you just need to get over yourself and choose him. It sucks. It's unfair. But those are the ones that will, the ones that have had it the most unfair, that still choose Jesus. He can trust you with power. He can trust you with glory. Even the ones that, it's been awesome. You were raised by amazing parents. Your life's been easy. Awesome. He can trust you with presence. He can trust you with glory. God doesn't go, hmm, qualified, disqualified. All he says is, the eyes of the Lord look to and fro throughout the earth for a heart. And those of us that have been through the harder things, there's something that you carry of partnering in the sufferings of God. That's a beautiful thing that you'll know him in a way. But some of you, I'm telling you right now, the greatest place of spiritual warfare is when you resist the enemy and you say, no matter what, I'm going to choose Jesus. He glories in your weakness every day. Holy Spirit, I thank you for this fire and fragrance school. Lord, I ask God as they even go to lunch and throughout work duties and tracks and all the things that they have, Holy Spirit, you continue to speak to them. And Lord, I pray that any part of my story that would give grace for them to overcome, that they would grab a hold of that. Lord, and that as they hear this, Lord, that anything is possible. No matter what the enemy says, what the world says, the qualifications, God, just one hand saying, here am I, Lord, use me and send me. You see that. And you give us the grace to overcome. We love you in this place. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.